Coming up next, was Tolkien a racist? Hey, everybody. <laughs> That's not the name of a book. That's the question that we're going to answer definitively in this episode. Throwing down the gauntlet. <laughs> and oh, look, Jake, Jake and Brandon are leaving the room. <laughs> They're slamming the door. I'm <laughs> out of here. We can hear a door, car door slamming, squealing away. I'm just, just trying to make get caught up in this one. Just trying to make sure people don't hear me crunching on these Mike and Ikes. <laughs> <laughs> We are also eating Mike and Ike's as we go. Listen, oh, Jake. Menards and they've got a great. They've got they great a two pound bag of Mike and Ike's, and you can't pass that up. Yeah, you know you haven't eaten lunch, and one of those guilty pleasure from childhood candies for me. So mm-hmm. I bought a two pound bag of Mike and Ike's, and <laughs> regretting that decision right now. Yep. So Brendan, but I, it, I continue to eat them. If you were going to glut yourself on one guilty pleasure from your childhood. What would it be? That's a hard question, Nathan. On a two-pound bag of it. I really like peanut butter M&Ms. They're pretty good. That's hardly a guilty pleasure, man. I mean, a two-pound bag of peanut butter M&Ms, M&Ms sounds like it would get a little bit old. That would get old. But peanut would butter have to be... M&Ms in general, that's not a guilty pleasure. That's, that's just, they're just good. good candy, they're know? just good. A guilty, so a guilty pleasure from childhood. Mm-hmm. And I was too... Beating bored. up other kids at the schoolyard. Circus peanuts. Circus peanuts. Yeah. Candy corn. These are the kinds of guilty pleasures I imagine Brandon having. Marijuana. Really? <laughs> Circus peanuts, why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so my grandmother, she always had those, you know those little peanut butter bars that had like the brown stripes on them? They're oh, little yeah. tiny and the little wrappers. Yep. She'd have all those oh, all the time. Oh, those are good. Maybe those. She'd have them at her house and it just reminds me of childhood. Like if you mention a candy from childhood, that would be the one that comes to mind. I forget what they're called. <laughs> my she mom, had them all the time. My grandma had Werther's. I think a lot of people's grandmothers have had Werther's. That seems my, like a touchstone. My head reason. Oh, reasons good too. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying like she had reasons not to have. Yeah, she had, she had reasons not to have Werther's. <laughs> As do we all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, speaking of candy, <laughs> I want to give people the candy of oh boy, a great transition into the next part of the podcast. You did it. <laughs> speaking of here, let me try this. I've got it. Speaking of reasons, I've got a reason for us to move on because we need to finish an episode today. On was Tolkien a racist? Okay. And we needed to introduce ourselves. My name is Nathan. Yeah. I'm a little immediate host. That's Brandon. He's the scholar who's a baller of reading. Yeah. And there's Jake. He's the scholar. Oh, boy. He's the pastor who's a master of reading. We've been promising it for a little while. We had we made some offhand comments about the racism or lack thereof in Tolkien several Tolkien episodes, maybe several months ago now. And we had some fans and people write in and say, eh, what's this about Tolkien being a racist? Because I think at some point in that discussion, I said, well, yeah, Tolkien was obviously a racist or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so people sent in and said, Tolkien wasn't a racist. What are you talking about? A round of this discussion happened on the internet recently, too, on Twitter. Somebody got some traction saying, quote, the concept of evil races has always been a cop-out writing tactic deeply rooted in racism. 
All the people crying about getting rid of it completely lack imagination and the ability to write conflict without portraying an entire peoples as inherently evil, unquote. So, oh, I know why it was a big deal, because D&D, Dungeons and Dragons, got rid of the concept of evil races. They had just bad, some bad races in their game, and they decided that that was no longer politically correct or acceptable to do in the wake of Black Lives Matter and all that sort of thing. So... I want to answer that broad question, but let's answer more specific. Let's, let's work our way outward here. Let's start at the center of the Tootsie Roll. Tootsie Pop. Eat our way out. And eat our way out. Yeah. As one does. Yeah. Okay. It's like a one of those commercials on Rewind. Let's talk about, was Tolkien a racist? Brandon, I'll just ask you, was Tolkien, was J.R.R. Tolkien a racist? Kind of. I mean, there are definitely racist attributes to the Lord of the Rings. I can see where the where someone could lay that charge at his feet. If we just want to start there. So what's the argument? So he has the orcs who are by nature evil, but the biggest argument comes from the fact that down south, the further south you go and the further southeast you go, the people just seem to be tempted to be evil. And more barbaric. And more and, barbaric. And so you and have the this, darker their skin. Yeah, exactly. And so they're so the farther s- south you go, the darker their skin and the more evil they are. In fact, mm-hmm. I think he says they're swarthy. Yes, he does. And the word, the S word gets thrown around. And they use, they, they're barbarians. They use, they write ol- oliphants. And they write elephants, yeah, mm-hmm. oliphants. And so everything that we would look at as being racist is there. This is ver- it's very much a parallel to Narnia. Mm-hmm. Narnia has the same thing, right? The, the mm-hmm. people in the South, further South you go, the less Westernly cultural you are, right? Immoral. You have these barbaric values. And well, there, that actually, I felt personally, less comfortable with especially like the horse and his boy we famously wasn't our favorite narnia book and that was kind of one of our provocative hot takes when we did narnia yeah and one of the things that i wasn't actually personally all that comfortable with if i'm being honest was the fact that c.s lewis has a really cartoony view of arabian culture basically yeah, the wiggling the middle eastern yeah it just i i don't really blame him for it i don't want to like look from my perch you know, 50 years down the road and say, well, that he just wasn't culturally sensitive like I am. But at the same time, it's like, all else being equal, I wish he would have done something else. You get the sense that he thought that every single person in that culture was like wearing those Chinese oriental theater masks, Mm -hmm. like with the oversized grins and the weird shape eyes, like on on their dragons, you know what I'm talking about? I do. So the guy's like wiggling his ears and doing stuff with his eyebrows, just has this contorted face. And so there's something less than human about him. I mean, at least Lewis maybe came to terms with that later. And when he tried to have the one guy repent to become- The Calorman that was always worshiping Aslan. Yeah. And so he dealt with it, but Tolkien really never has any of these guys because they never even get really any humanity other than just being the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And that's what they are. Now, Tolkien does give a nod. There's something I found it interesting reading The Two Towers because there's subtle nods to the fact that even if they weren't mistreated, these men saw themselves as mistreated by like the Rohan and mm-hmm. these guys. And that that's why Sauron could tempt them because they felt like they had been mistreated and they felt like they were other. Mm-hmm. And so that was interesting. I had never seen that before, but I was kind of trying to keep an eye out for that. Yeah. And so I do think Tolkien doesn't completely write them off as being inherently evil, right? There was something that was manipulated about them. Mm-hmm. And from a Brit that makes sense because around this time you had Ireland was coming to terms with its own national identity and you had years of seeing Ireland as animals and beasts just worthy of being destroyed and conquered. And 
the Irish were saying, no, actually, you know, we kind of have a culture that you should pay attention to and not see us as animals worthy of just being defeated and killed. And at the same time, you also had India that was kind of uprising and saying, look at us. We also have people that are worth listening to and hearing. And so it's that moment of history where England was enough uncomfortable with its colonial identity, mm-hmm. at least people who could think about it. Right. That I don't think that they could just completely have guys like that in their books without and be as smart as Tolkien was without somehow feeling a little bit uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And I, and you see that in the book. Well, okay. So that's the evidence for the evidence against would be Tolkien wrote several letters that you can find where, I mean, the famous story I think is that the Nazis tried to publish an edition of one of his books and he wouldn't let them or something like that. Yeah, There's I, some relationship with Germany there. And that's the famous letter where he says, kind of, it's kind of funny because he schools them on, what what Aryanism actually is, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. He says, you know, this is what it means to be Aryan, and you guys really aren't this thing. You don't count, right. yeah. And so it was. That's funny to see because he's, you know, he's a philologist, and so he lays yeah. it out for them. Here, you, you guys think you know what you're talking about, but here's actually what Aryanism is. Mm-hmm. Then he also says because they must have mentioned something about being Jewish. And he says he has no, he doesn't have the privilege or something of belonging to the, having anybody in his bloodline belonging to that illustrious race. Yeah. He says he wishes so, he could be Jewish, basically. Like, yeah, that would be awesome. Because there was an accusation that the dwarves also were just were Jewish, yeah. Stereotypes of Jewishness. Yeah. So, yeah. And he did deal with those things and say, no, you guys are getting it wrong. Yeah. Anytime so, that he had to say anything explicitly, he said the right quote unquote thing. You can't really accuse him of, having his heart in the wrong place. If you want to make an argument, you have to make an argument for what do they call internalized racism. Yeah. I guess that he just brought the racist assumptions of his. And then you have to make a bigger argument against having any kind of in mass characterizations in fairy tale stories. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of what we've talked about in Tolkien is that he makes everything really, 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 really simple. The characters are simple and defined by one trait, and the races are simple and defined basically by one trait. The elves are heavenly, and the hobbits are homey, and the men are men, I guess, but the orcs are evil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the men of Rohan like their horses and are proud. The men of Gondor are proud and like their white walls. The men of the south are swarthy, and they ride their oliphants and are tempted to follow the Dark Lord. And you have to make a case that that in and of itself, trying to do those sorts of things is bad. I've been reading a lot of things lately. <laughs> um, and so I can't remember where in the world I got this from. Maybe it's from the beginning of the Brothers Karamazov. <laughs> but somebody's making the point that the way that nations relate to one another is that the one nation has to assume its superiority in moral values mm-hmm. to even justify going to war against the other one in the first right. place. And you see that. So maybe the one thing that we can now... C- talk about a little bit with our nation is the way that we handled like the war on terror. Mm-hmm. Like you see, watch 24, or you watch the movies about nine 11. And the only way you can do a movie like that is if you say all Islamic culture is evil, right? right? They are the other that have these values that they're all evil. And it is true that the ideas and beliefs of their nation are evil. Does it make every single person who believes those things evil? That's oversimplifying things, Mm -hmm. just like thinking that every single person who lives in communist China is automatically evil. But the way that these stories work is it's idea against idea, and those ideas come to represent the people. Well, and insofar as that's also true 
of Tolkien in England, in Great Britain, there's no nation on earth farther north. So, of course, all of the evil is south. Right, yeah. Because all of everyone other is south. Right. There yeah. is no one north. Yeah. And so... It'd be wrong to put the our frame on it and say, like, South America or South Africa, like... Or the south. Or the south, like what we think of. It's just... Right. Everything is south. Includes Germany, includes Italy, includes France, includes right. Spain, includes Russia. Yeah, and this is going back to like old literary metaphors and tropes mm -hmm. that like even in Shakespeare, I was like just thinking Romeo and Juliet, everything goes badly on a hot summer day. Right. And you know that it's going to go badly because everybody's hot and everybody's mad. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, literary. Shakespeare Bradbury. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so this has also always been part of the imagination that obviously cultures that have to live in the hot Southern climates are going to be more given prone to warfare because mm -hmm. I mean, wouldn't you be if you had to live in a hot Southern climate? <laughs> That's why Texans are also obviously. Yeah. Fiery. 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 Yeah. yeah. Always wanting to fire off those guns mm -hmm. because what else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? Yeah. You got to let off that steam somehow. You got to get it out. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's several different directions we could take this. You mentioned Shakespeare, Brandon. I've just been watching The Hollow Crown in preparation for our Shakespeare. The heavens up. themselves, the planets, and this earth observe degree, priority, and place, office, and custom. And Is that a quote from the old bard himself? Take but degree away, unto the, untune that string, and hark what discord follows. This is how Henry VI That's how it opens starts. in ho The Hollow Crown. Mm -hmm. I was just watching it too, and I wrote that down because I thought, wow, well, that, that's something. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> well... It's interesting the way that they think of the French, for example, in a Henry play. It's not very flattering. No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how about I don't know how to talk about this. You read like an old Chesterton essay on the German or the Irishman or something like that. And he will assume that there is a national character. Yeah. And that you can talk about it. You you read any old, you know, person before about fifty years ago, and there'll just be assumptions about the national character of a group of people. The Americans are maverick cowboys. The English are staid and stuffy, stuffy and, and stalwart. Mm -hmm. And the French are effete. And the Germans are precise and clean and militaristic, militaristic and engineerish. And, and I, we all still remember this stuff, right? Like it's not a, it's not the Swiss make great watches and chocolate and right. knives. Well, like, we've gotten to a point where you really in polite company can't even tell a joke about a drunk Irishman. Like that's not even, within my lifetime, that became uncool. You can still watch old Simpsons episodes where they make fun of Irish for being drunks, but I don't know that they would actually do that mm -hmm. now. Maybe I'm slightly overstating my case, but I think a lot of people are uncomfortable even with that degree of, uh, stereotype. of stereotype. I think that's right. And I think we are uncomfortable with that, but it doesn't mean that there's not some usefulness to it even <sighs> because there are things that particular nations deal with. Is that a problem to say? Well, it's really, a, no, it's not a problem. It's really unhelpful uh, to be an American and not be able to talk about the sins and, and temptations and proclivities of Americans. Yeah. Right. Just like it's unhelpful to talk, uh, to not be able to talk about the sins and proclivities of the British or the Spanish or the French or yeah. Whatever and whatever con uh, for me just thinking as a pastor, it is helpful to be able to generalize about people. Yeah. Because it gives you handles and it gives you a starting point. And yes, people are always infinitely more complex than those generalizations. But generalizations happen to be generally true. Yep. And 
that's where I think as I think Chesterton said, all great thinking begins mm -hmm. is with the ability to make generalizations about things. And then you bring your nuance down the line, but it starts with generalizations. You have to be able to think categorically. Right. Yeah. And this is one of the scandals of the Bible. It makes a lot of generalizations about people groups. Cretans are all, always liars. Right. This is a true statement. <laughs> you don't get much <laughs> more politically incorrect than that. And that's and, the impossible. And, and now Cretan just means Cretan today. Right. Yeah. Like, it, it does it, not mean someone from Crete. Crete yeah. mm -hmm. Well, and you see the old, you see the nation, you know, like the Assyrians are the bad guys. The Babylonians are like this. And it's all pretty. But that's so unhelpful, Nathan. I don't like it. Because we're surely, demonizing another culture. Because yeah. surely there was one Assyrian that didn't like to be Assyrian. Maybe he just, you know, wanted to be a painter or a poet and he didn't really feel like being the battle evil Syrian. Well, first of all, yes. I think we all agree with that, right? Like there there are but how exceptions. are you making room for him though? How's that helpful for him? Because then he would just be killed with all the rest. Well, what happens, Brandon, is people don't really like to do this these days, but it's nice to have more than one thought inside your head no like you can have a big thought and then you can have a bunch of little thoughts that kind of hang off those thoughts like like ornaments on a christmas tree and it can be like a thought tree a thought, thing a thought christmas tree yeah a thought christmas tree like with little twinkly lights yeah oh. but instead people hate thought christmas and so it's just people like hate i could, thought christmas yeah people hate thought christmas i nominate that to replace the <laughs> The chili. Nietzsche's mustache chili quote. <laughs> I would love for something to replace the thought Christmas. We I should really do something. We got to stick with terrifyingly right as our, like, that's our tagline. And we just come up with a new terrifyingly, a new terrifyingly right t shirt. Well, I'm willing to talk about that. Um, He's willing to talk about it. I'm willing good. to talk about Let's, it. We'll talk about that. Yeah, later we'll, we'll talk about that another off, place off mic. Off mic. Or maybe we'll, on video, but off mic. Join okay. us for 25 bucks or more, folks, if you want to get a shirt with something on it. Will there be mic when we do the video, though? Like, it'll be off this mic, but still, they could hear the video. Are they just going to watch us? No, they'll just, just watch us. There'll be no microphones. Okay. We'll be drinking Mike's Hard Lemonade. It'll be like Mystery Theater 3000. They have to kind we'll of provide the voices. Yeah, we'll be eating mics. We'll just be eating the mics. The Ikes will stay in the bag. What we're talking about? Oh, <laughs> Christmas tree More thoughts. than one thought. <laughs> so, you have your thoughts should be like a Christmas tree. You have like a big thought, like this nation is like this. And then you have a bunch of little thoughts that help nuance and bring some perspective to that thought. It is possible. Well, that's fine. But what happens when the men in power are the ones who just want to get rid of the little thoughts and just have the Christmas tree? Well, let's not put those people in power. But you can't help it because those people are the ones that are generally going to be able to get themselves into power because of the way our culture is set up, Nathan. Look at the guy who's in charge right now. Okay, but just because generalizations can be abused doesn't mean we need to eradicate all generalizations I think we from should our government. The idea the that we need to eradicate all generalizations is itself a generalization. A generalization. Oh. Yeah. So y'all are hoisted on your own petard. Booyah. That's right. Brandon's attempted a devil's advocate. He just went up in flames. Yep. It's thought Christmas, <laughs> y'all. Thought Christmas. <laughs> Nailed jet to the wall. <laughs> yep. There we go. Bookening. It's thought Christmas, y'all. <laughs> I like I that. Love that. I that's love great. that. <laughs> okay. That's a shirt. That's it. I'm sorry. It's thought Christmas, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> what a great... That's the tagline for the year. That's yeah. it. Okay. Terrifyingly right for last year. It's thought Christmas, y'all. Alas, wipe year. that must wipe that chili off your mustache, Nietzsche. We never knew thee. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Whew.
You know what, folks? I spent like a couple hours trying to design a good wipe that chili off of your mustache. It's not Nietzsche. possible. It was it's, horrifying. I thought it was a valiant effort. It was a valiant <laughs> effort, but who wants to wear that shirt? Nietzsche, Nietzsche with his mustache alone is horrifying, but you get some like chili spray in there. <laughs> chili on there. And it makes you want to. Uh, I'll, I'll post some of the rejected artwork on uh, oh, Patreon or something like that. It makes you want to throw up. Mm-hmm. What's cool about somebody like Chesterton Sorry, uh, that was just me dropping it in Slack oh, so we wouldn't yeah, forget good, it, guys. Good job. Uh, <laughs> it's Dot Christmas, y'all. It's Dot Christmas, y'all. That's pretty great. I'm texting Meredith right now, too. Yeah, no, like, that's... Yo, work on this. Yeah, work on this. Babe. Don't call her babe. I um, I... Should we hyphenate Thought Christmas, or...? I think it's cleaner without it, probably, but I don't know. I'll have to play with that. Thought can be capital. Maybe Thought and Christmas are both capital. I think Thought and Christmas are both capital. Yeah. Or yeah. everything is all caps. Yeah. By the way, this is the way that Satan tempted Eve. Thought the the denial of thought Christmas goes back to the the very beginning. Has God really said you may not eat of any of the fruit? Like let's cancel fra- thought Christmas and let's just make it one big monolithic scary thought that eradicates all nuance. And it's like, "Oh, that's scary. God doesn't want me to No, actually. You God can- gave you absolutely everything including eternal life, the tree of life. But he did make one little exception. Mm-hmm. He attached a real curse to that, to violating that exception. But yeah, you just make it scary and yeah, big and use it to cast doubt on the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is anything that even shared in the cultural blindnesses of its time becomes absolutely evil. Right. Like right. I saw an article this morning. As if we have no cultural blindness. Yeah. I know. I, own, so right? like I saw like, an article this morning denouncing George our, Washington. As if our yeah. cultural blindnesses aren't worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to get into that territory, but yeah, they were uh, suddenly George Washington has to be a bad guy. Well, yeah. He owns slaves. Well, yeah. and it's like, there's a perfect example of where you need thought Christmas. It's like, it's complicated. George yeah. Washington was a tree with more than one branch and more, more than one ornament yeah. that hung off of it. And so in the George guy- Washington owned slaves and also arranged for all of his slaves to be set free. To be set yeah. free. George Washington didn't like slavery and also understood that it was complicated to just free all the slaves and also understood there were certain political realities and and benefited from slavery probably in a wicked yeah. way. I mean, like it's all in there. Yeah. And none of us benefit from the industry of abortion in our country. No. Yeah. Or profit off of it. Not at all. When I was in grad school, the big, the reigning ideology of the day was multiculturalism. And so you had guys like Gayatri Spivak and um, uh, Homi K. Baba, who were all talking about the, the other and othering. And now that's just become like part of our parlance now. But their big deal was saying that, so they had this idea of the subaltern. And the subaltern is the person who's um, culturally appropriated by the colonialist, mm-hmm. right? And if that person ever tries to speak, they don't ever get a voice because they're always smothered. And whenever they try to speak in literature, they always have to speak through the language of those who are in power. So you never actually get to hear them speak. And so that was their big question is, can the subaltern even speak, right? The problem is that when these ideas that, yeah, what colonialism did in India, what colonialism did to Ireland, these sorts of things, it was awful. A lot of that was awful. But when you take that and that that thought itself was thought Christmas because it was a nuance on the tree of what was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. But when that thing then becomes like the reigning flag, it trumps everything else. So anything that even has an echo of that in it becomes automatically evil and wicked. Right. Does it make sense? Yeah. 
And so that everything that even kind of a little bit shares in colonialism all of a sudden becomes bad. So you can't read any of these guys unless you're willing to. So the only way you can redeem Shakespeare is by thinking, well, Shakespeare really wasn't a colonialist because Shakespeare kind of was already on our side. And so it just becomes a sort of ridiculous dance, Mm -hmm. right? And so then you end up losing a lot of the ability to think because you can only now think according to the new reigning ideology. No, what's interesting about that is it relates to Tolkien. This is maybe just a minor point to make, but Tolkien in his storytelling likes to set up hierarchies that that, that are that rigid. And then he likes to find little ways to subvert them. All hobbits like to stay at home and don't do anything. And here's the story of the, the, one the handful of hobbits. All women are these glorious, beautiful, feminine creatures. And the woman that gets the most time in my novel is the one woman who's not. Who's not. All men are kind of weak and compromised, but every man that I'm talking about is a hero that's willing to mm-hmm. to not be. All dwarves are racist little greedy, jerks, greedy selfish, selfish. The, you know, same as in Lewis, the dwarves are for the dwarves. Dwarves are for the dwarves, insular. And here's our dwarf that managed to break out of that and make best friends with an elf. An elf. And here's the elf that manages to condescend to a dwarf. And actually what's interesting about Legolas and Gimli is that you don't get the sense that they're like, you don't get the sense of Tolkien saying that they're exceptional, that they were able to do that. You get the sense that he's suggesting that if all elves and dwarves would just have the will and the That it would be possible for them all to do it. Yeah. But it's yeah. interesting because you watch, you make a movie about it today or you, like you watch something like Glory or something and it's like, it's about us, dis- or The Last Samurai, you know, one of those movies, Dances with Wolves. It's about us discovering that we're actually, we're all the same. Under when you get down to it, you read something by a guy writ- writing in that time, and it's about us discovering. He never understands. It's never about understanding that they're the same. No, it's like we're different, and I guess that's cool. I can respect you for being a greedy and sort of little jerk that has some good qualities. Well, and it's more about you, right? Like Gimli has to overcome Gimli's prejudices, right? Legolas has to overcome Legolas's prejudices. And he doesn't do that by saying, oh, you're just like me. Like that's that's a broken mindset right. in itself. If if I have to recognize that you're just like me in order to like you, mm-hmm. then that still means that you have to be like me. You can't be different than me. Right. And us have any kind of real relationship. Yeah. We all have to be leveled. We can't be just different. This is one of the things yeah. that I hate about the multiculturalism of a movie like the new Disney Aladdin we're not actually celebrating what's wonderful and exotic about Arabian culture. What's different, what's scary, what's interesting, what's unique. We're just making it like a colorful, the same old boring Western culture where a woman can be sold. And it's like, you deny yourself storytelling opportunities. Like, here's an idea. A woman could never be Sultan. How's the princess gonna make it work in that context? How's she gonna be strong in that context? That's an interesting story. The idea of her just, finding out that society is actually just as cool as the society that we already live in, that's a boring story. That's not an interesting hurdle to overcome. And, you know, the old Aladdin, the 92 version, it's pretty racist. (laughs) It's pretty dumb. But at least it has some sense of the fact that there's something different about this culture and there's something that makes this culture interesting. Now, I'm not defending the fact that it's just a bunch of bucktooth sword swallowers and guys lying on a bed of nails like that movie could have been done better and more respectfully but 
I think somewhere in there, hashtag thought Christmas, there is the idea that there's something interesting about this culture that's different than our culture. Let's not flatten it. Let's not flatten it. The, The minute that you're unwilling to depict what is otherly and even wicked about another culture, you become unwilling and unable to celebrate what's great about it, what's mm-hmm. wonderful, what's beautiful, mm-hmm. and what's unique in a good way as well. You have to you have to be willing to be nuanced in both directions. Otherwise, you do just flatten everything into, aren't we all the same? Right. And you read but an with, essay by- different clothes. You read an right? essay by Chesterton in the early 20th century, you know, writing in 1910, something around there. And he'll be like, here's what's great about the Irish. And here's what's stupid about the Irish. And here's what stupid part can be kind of painful to read through today's sensibilities. But also, he gets a lot of here's what's great about the Irish that you couldn't really say. Yeah, the only people he doesn't say anything great about are the Germans. Right. He really doesn't like the Germans. (laughs) He he hates the Germans. You can find some fun. (laughs) Or Calvinists. Yeah, or Calvinists. (laughs) But even then, as, as someone that he personally doesn't like, the Calvinists, he has some begrudging respect for what's what's interesting and cool about them. He just thinks what he thinks is interesting. Yeah. yeah he just doesn't, he understand. doesn't really understand. Yeah. Yeah. But we can, we can say that Chesterton didn't understand, you know, do I have to be personally offended by that and never no. read Chesterton just cause he didn't get me, you know, sheesh. Yeah. I, I, I guess so. Well, yeah. Yeah. Let's cancel. Him. Yeah. He's canceled. Yep. He is canceled. Yeah. Cancel Chesterton party. Yeah. I mean, and this is just, Chesterton is over party. Yes, I think is what you're, you you're right. Well, and part of this is just every generation has to deal with its own, the big error, the fallacy of progressive progressivism in the sense that our generation is progressing from the past generations and becoming more moral and pure. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly we, like our generation now thinks that this gentrification that's uh, suddenly going to get rid of racism is more pure than the ra- than the generations that came before it. Right? Mm-hmm. And, but this is... The things we deal with are as old as time. You're not going to get rid of racism, just like you're not yeah. going to get rid of murder, just like you're not going to get rid of stealing, just like you're not going to get rid of any number of other sins and crimes Yeah, because people are evil. Oh, so that just means we shouldn't do anything. No. No, it means- That's that you, not what Jake said. <laughs> it means you should just like so- You should be humble about your approach to trying to deal with the, these things, right? The fact is- and we've talked about this before in other contexts, and I forget where, but every good just society that tries to live by the rule of law actually makes some allowance for the fact that murders are going to happen, mm-hmm. that people are going to steal things, that wicked things will happen. And they try to, what it tries to do is it tries to regulate and minimize the wickedness. But it, it understands fundamentally that that is just what, how things are and how people are. It's just about putting the right checks and balances in place, having the right laws to dissuade those sorts of things, Mm -hmm. the right punishments for those actual crimes when those crimes are committed. And then tries to establish a freedom of thought where we can hold these things in tension. Let me read something that blew my mind from the Brothers Karamazov. We're gonna probably say some not kind things about Dostoevsky, but he wrote something that to me put what's happening now completely in perspective. And I wrote it down that you just made me think of it. He says, this is like, this is during the budding of the thing called socialism. He wrote for socialism is not merely the labor question. It is before all things, the atheistic question, the question of the form taken by atheism today, the question of the tower of Babel built without God, not to mount to heaven from earth, 
But to but bring to, heaven down. But to set up earth, or heaven on earth. And That's I just exactly thought, exactly right. Dostoevsky, he you nailed, nailed it. it. That's right. That's yeah. what it's about. And it's about, it's about trying to achieve a he- heavenly utopia in the absence of dealing with sin, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> with the heart of man, which will always corrupt it. And that's why every time we try to do this sort of thing, and that's the thing, you can't understand, if you can't understand the intricacies of the evil of your own heart, how can you understand societal evils that are infinitely more complex? How can you understand economies, global economies? national economy. It just does not work that way. You try to address it and all you do is you create space for the worst evils and atrocities that have ever happened in the history of humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we, on the book it ain't. The blood deny- of Europe runs red. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or the, the rivers of Europe <sighs> right. run red with the blood of people shed by the communists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not that we deny systemic evil either. It's just that you have to start with your own heart if you're going to get anywhere in that discussion. Yeah. And if you're going to just say there's this vague thing called racism or this vague thing called colonialism, this vague thing out there, this this Lovecraftian monster that we have to bring down, it's like that's not as helpful as starting to deal with who you are, with who your neighbor is, with who your friend is, with who your enemy is. They don't want to do that because then it also forces them to deal with themselves. But also the other problem with that, or the other interesting thing about it, and I'm sure this isn't, this is not a groundbreaking point to make, mm. is that they can't escape the same sort of thinking that they hate. So instead of making a race the bad guy, they have to make a system the bad guy, the ultimate, that's still going to produce bad guys that are by their nature evil. So like they'll look, they have no problems, I would imagine, saying that Trump is just absolutely evil, right? Mm-hmm. There's no redeeming Trump. Right. And how does that fit into their philosophy, right? Like if they're supposed to be, no stereotyping, no putting people into categories. How does it change things to make the factor that turns you into a villain capitalism? Right. Right. Because Trump wasn't born a capitalist. It wasn't like he is the embodiment of all capitalist thinking. Right. And yet they sure do seem <laughs> to think- Pretty far from it. He's actually. like Texas, well, the smoke monster. And but seriously, so- He was just the, produced what, by capitalism. The issue that they have with things like Sauron and the orcs is that they're the, supposed to be this embodiment of what Tolkien takes to be evil, right? A perversion of nature. Right, and they say you can't and, do that. And, and a lust for power. They say you can't do that, and yet that's exactly what they do with politics. Mm-hmm. They want to say that guys like Elon Musk and Trump are somehow like archetypes of evil. They, they basically are their Saurons, right? Right. They right. are the orcs. And then and Trump they, does the same thing, just to make a little space for our, our more left-leaning friends. Nancy Pelosi is just the devil. The, yeah. liberals, the, the, the liberal machine is coming for us. I guess the point that I was trying to make is at least, so the the conservatives admit they do that. Yeah. But the liberals are trying to fight against that tendency and yet they fall into the same trap. And I think it's because like it or not, the way we think about the world, it, well, it's built into us, right? This, this truth about the world and it all gets corrupted and perverted when you don't see it through the light of the gospel. Mm-hmm. We don't see it through the light of truth that all men are evil. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And every culture has its extreme wickedness and its extreme perversions and also still bears the image of God, right? right. And that's, the, that's where the tension and the huge complexities come out of is, yeah, sure. Islamic culture, by what it preaches is evil. Does that make every single person who's born in the Islamic nations absolutely, well, yes, it makes them absolutely evil, right? But does it make them like orcishly evil, <laughs> Right. No. Do I have to suspect that my Islamic neighbor is going to 
come after me or something like right. that. No, of course not. And yeah, it's, it's like you were saying earlier, it's the Christmas tree thinking. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta have room to realize the world's much bigger than you think it is. Mm-hmm. Much more complicated than you think it is. And if you're not comfortable enough to live in that sort of world, then you're going to become the villain you're trying to fight. You're only a very little fellow, Bilbo Baggins, in a very yeah. big world. White, I think it was. In a very wide world. I thought you said white. White. <laughs> <laughs> but if we wanted to get back to Tolkien, what other paradigms are you going to use but light and dark? Well, that is yeah. the thing about fantasy and about good and evil is it's so hard to get away from the paradigm of light and dark. I mean, it's just... George Lucas did it. Yeah, kind of. But his bad guys all still dress in black and... No, no, no. I, Lucas didn't get away from light and dark. That's not what I was saying. George Lucas... Used light and dark. Oh, oh, he did it. Like he, yeah. I was like, okay. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna crush that point, Jake. <laughs> Impossible. Light and dark. What? <laughs> Star well, Wars. I mean, we still are cool with Star Wars and Scar, Scar, Scar Wars. Scarlett Johansson. But, yeah, light and darkness is always. And come on, we are people of the day. Mm-hmm. Bad things happen at night, under cover of night, yeah. and we sleep at night, and we live in the day. Light and darkness is built into... That means Jake hates people with dark skin. No. People are terrified of the night for a reason because you can't see what's out there. I was out in my... Turning off the lights in my barn last night Mm -hmm. and there was some creature in the woods like making this horrifying scream. I think it was a screech owl. Mm -hmm. But, you know, being out in the woods at night when you can't see anything and you have this thick forest in front of you and you hear this thing screaming and it's it's shifting positions like every minute and then screaming again. Sounds terrifying. (laughs) It's scary. Yeah. And so we built these deep metaphors about this. That's like what Jung and things called archetypes, right? That, that sort of stuff. And um, just like there can be lazy rational thinking, there can be lazy poetic metaphoric thinking mm-hmm. as well, where we automatically assume that everything then that is black and dark is evil. And that's what we've seen with uh, yeah. racism and culture like that, that suddenly, you know, they go to Africa and there are some weird things that happen over there. So, uh, the whole nation suddenly, you know, is dark mm-hmm. and wicked. And one day we'll... Well, we've done Heart of Darkness, never mind. Yeah. We, so we saw how Conrad dealt with that, right? And that's, so that's just lazy metaphorical thinking. And, we, and people do that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Where you just automatically assume, well, because night is scary, dark is scary. Therefore, everything dark is scary and bad. And that, that is laziness. But it doesn't mean that the original metaphor that gave rise to that error is wrong. Yep. So. Well, and people writing fairy tales in the West, the heritage that Tolkien was drawing from, those were white people and they wrote stories you know you read george mcdonald tolkien was a big george mcdonald fan it's the princess and the goblins and the goblins are dark evil people and there's a heritage of this stuff and so when i said in our you know many many episodes ago is tolkien a racist the answer of course is yes well duh i mean he's he's drawing on tropes that are based somewhere in a fear of other races yeah and a demonizing of them you know, if you want to call it internalized racism, I guess that's fine. I guess that's the term for it. But I, I think it would be silly for Christians to have to bend over backwards to say that their conservative hero didn't draw on some unfortunate stereotypes. I mean, I think just let him have it. Like, yeah, of course he did. Big deal. Every person writing in their time is going to have the blind spots of their time. Imagine what they'll say about us. Yep. That we were the only perfect ones to right. ever existed. Obviously. Yeah. That kind of answers the, was Tolkien a racist question, I guess. Does anybody have anything else they want to say about that? Nope. Now, no. big picture, or did you, did you were you going to? No. Big picture, we said we were going to get back to 
the thing that went on the internet about DND and about the laziness of using those archetypes. Let me just read the quote again so we can address it specifically. The concept of evil races has always been a cop-out writing tactic deeply rooted in racism. All the people crying about getting rid of it completely lack imagination and the ability to write conflict without portraying an entire people as inherently evil. What do you guys think about that? Well, we've already touched a little bit on it. I think that a good place to start is just to go back to the one book that we surprisingly all had problems with with Lewis Mm -hmm. was where he was lazy, which was The Horse and His Boy. So yeah, I do think that that can, that's a problem when an author is lazy with it. But you there can are ways just tell that Lewis has in his bones, like he's studied European myth and it's all there and it comes out in the way that he talks about Bacchus and about like, but then it just feels like he's writing in such broad strokes when he writes about. He's read some travel pamphlets. He's read some travel pamphlets. He's read Richard Burton's translation of Arabian Nights probably. And yeah. he's, he's familiar with the the things that were cliches even then. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's just in his bones. Like it's a culture that he wants to write about or finds all that and interesting. To be fair to him and to others writing at that time, like with uh, Kipling in India, that it's getting a lot of grief right now. Mm-hmm. That was in the air they were breathing. And so they probably really weren't thinking that much about it. Yeah. I don't want to be smug about it. They also you didn't know? have Wikipedia to just pull up pictures. They didn't watch travel documentaries. So I mean, you want to give Lewis the burden of the doubt in the sense that Benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Let's stick him with the burden of the doubt. The benefit of the doubt. Man, Jake, I'm an idiot. The benefit of the doubt in the sense that if he were here today, would he it'd be would he be willing to hear these arguments? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh, well, I, you know, I wasn't even thinking about that. You know, I was just trying to write a fun children's story and have a good villain and make it funny too. And I didn't realize what I was doing when I did that. And so you Lewis was thoughtful about those things. He adjusted. I don't even know if I agree with him on this, but it's another conversation. He adjusted the way that he wrote his girls as he got letters from girls. And I think there's documentation, if I'm remembering correctly, of that. You know, girls wrote in and said, did Jill have to just be sitting in the corner screaming and crying while the boys were killing the snake? And Lewis was like, OK, I'll I'll give Jill something to do next time. And I don't think he fundamentally shifted his views on sex or anything, but he found other ways to to use his girl characters. So that's just an example of what Brandon's talking about. But we still haven't really answered the question directly, which is, uh, here, let me ask it a different way. When you watch a Marvel movie, and inevitably it ends with a race of aliens or robots or some creature that we can just dispatch mercilessly because they are the other. Well, yeah, it's an easy thing. And it is it's an easy thing to do, right? You create an ugly, hideous alien race. They're all evil. And then we can have an awesome action scene with our heroes dispatching them and not feel bad about it. Right. Is that something that we should question? I mean, Brandon said earlier, we should question it when it's done lazily and Mm -hmm. we should accept it. He didn't say that he didn't go this far. I think when you can identify when it's being done lazily, then you criticize the laziness. When it's done intentionally and purposefully to a good end in a fairy tale type of uh, scenario or situation, then you should just roll with it and be okay with it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think so. I think poetry and metaphors and all that, they're very powerful in shaping our imaginations and the way we look at the world and our pleasures. We've talked all about that. But you also have to have the benefit of the doubt for discernment as well. And that someone can both read something that does that sort of thing and still find pleasure in it in the right way. Mm -hmm. 
while weeding out what's also maybe not so great. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? Yeah. So in other words, I just find it ridiculous that all the cultural dialogue now is like, just, just throw it all out, right? If it even had the smell of it, just throw it out. We don't need it anymore. Let's have new things. And you're going to throw away all sorts of wonderful, beautiful things because of that. And you're going to open yourself up to having all of the art you ever create thrown out in the future when they find the one thing that your culture was extraordinarily backwards on, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And it's all going to be thrown out. You know, one day, a thousand years from now, when we're looked as, at as barbarians uh, along the lines of the people from Moloch for killing our babies and everything we ever did will be thrown out for that reason, you mm -hmm. know, or because we had so much just sexual license or whatever it is that we're looked at as being monsters for. Yeah, it's a, I think it is done lazily a lot of times and I don't always like it. An example I think of is Thanos's minions in the Infinity Gauntlet saga. It's just like, who are these guys? Why do they like, I, I don't really, it doesn't offend me on a moral level, but it does offend me on a aesthetic level. Like we're not going to put any thought into Marvel's done this a couple times. Who are these guys? Like, why should I, why should I not like them even? I guess because they look ugly. There's something lazy about that. And, but on the other hand, the argument is like, those movies are overstuffed anyways. You want to spend time developing these villains. Yeah, well, his right-hand sorcerer guy is pretty cool. Yeah, you got that guy and you got Thanos himself who's interesting. Yeah, Nebula is interesting. Nebula, yeah, Marvel does a good villain, but they will often have minions. Yeah, you, but you can't, yeah, like you were saying, you can't do... You can't color in absolutely everybody. The kind of person that would be a minion of Thanos is the kind of person that would be a minion of Thanos, and that's why they're a minion of Thanos. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. the kind of person that wouldn't be a minion of Thanos doesn't get to be in the movie. Right. Exactly. Yes, and I guess to go back to the point I was making. Just because it's lazy doesn't necessarily make it absolutely you, evil. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that I was kind of trying to say that in my own. So, way too. in other words. You can admit that's lazy and you can admit, yeah, it'd be nice to have, some, but really would it though me be nice to have more color for those guys? Like what would he do? How would they do it? Yeah. And you just see, okay, this is necessary for the story and yeah, it's lazy. Like, but would we really like it if Tolkien had spent like three chapters trying to give color and life to the orcs? Well, and in the sense that hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue, like how much do you really, you know, I don't like it when good guys are indiscriminately just killing and it's supposed to be fun, you know, in a star Wars or a Marvel, that stuff gets to me after a while, especially watching kids absorb the lesson that you just kill and it's fun. On the other hand, just make a bunch of battle droids, man. Yeah. Battle droids are the solution. And George Lucas was ahead of his time or behind his time or sideways to his time or something. Who knows? Except when in clone wars, they then give them like fun little characters. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. feel bad for them when they're getting killed. <laughs> that is a, one of the, <laughs> fun jokes in Clone Wars. Go go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies to hear a lot more thoughts on that, folks. But then it's like, okay, do I really want Star Wars to have to solve the moral question of all these stormtroopers are human beings? Like once you open that, that's such a can of worms and it, it can lead to its own moral knot holes that are hard to get out of. If you think it's okay to make an action movie at all, then at some point you have to have a bad guy and a bad guy that we are all feeling pretty good about killing. And as Christians, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against a monolithic, irredeemable bad guy. That actually is the reality of our lives. Yeah. And stories that try to deal with this, like in ways they think are interesting. So 
You guys ever heard that, that new kids movie, Spies in Disguise? Mm, I'm familiar with the fact that Where it exists. Will Smith turns into a pigeon. Yes, that's what it was. It's it's just not interesting because they end up trying to deal with this, and in the final battle is them deciding they're not going to. The bad guy must not, you know, he has reasons for being the bad guy, mm-hmm. and you need to have sympathy for him, and so, but it just ends up feeling cheap. Well, I guess I, I don't know how to probably just trying to pack too much in here, but there is a certain point at which you lose the distinction between good and evil, and I think that that's a danger that modern movies, especially, run into where. We've declared war against the Empire. We're fighting the stormtroopers. We should kill them. That's what we're called to do. That's what a just society would do in a in a in a Star Wars type situation. We could talk about just war theory, but assuming that there is such a there there is a just Star War, then I guess we're in it. And we should shoot those stormtroopers. Yeah. And it doesn't pay to spend too much time saying, but there were people under those helmets. In a kid's story, that's not really about that. Well, anything else you guys, you guys want to say about this? Nope. No. So are we okay with Tolkien using orcs as the bad guys? Yep. Perfectly fine with it. Yay. All right. Let's go hunt some orc, guys. Let's hunt some orc. All right. Let's not hunt orc. Let's hunt great shout outs for our patrons. All right. If I can pull up the list here. Just shout them out, guys. We'll make keep it simple today. Patrons like Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. The Artful Anthony Dodger. The Artful, the Artful Anthony, Anthony Dodger. Dodger. Little Anthony's Cigar Store. Little, Little Anthony's Anthony Cigar, Cigar Store. By the way, you should really go to at the booking on Instagram. Brandon, being sponsored by Little Anthony's Cigar Store, is doing an Instagram show where he reads poetry every week. Yeah. That's super fun. And he smokes a cigar. It's provided by Little Anthony. It's been quite a bit of fun. It's been a lot of fun, and you can learn about poetry. And if you're a patron of ours, you get an extra little bonus video. That's right. So, really cool stuff. The Immortal Chelsea E. The Immortal Chelsea E. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Lily of the V. Lily of the V. Andrew and Esther the L. Andrew and Esther the L. The Keith M. The Keith M. David's MMT. David's MMT. John and Jill and LBM. John and Jill and LBM. Jay and Katie, who are C and L C A A C L I T W H F. Jay and Katie are cold and love cheese and C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. A fairy princess of wonderness and happiness, MB. The fairy princess of wonder and happiness, MB. Console PA. Console PA. Jeremy the Dark Hooded L O D. Jeremy the Dark Hooded L-O-D. Nathan N-M. Nathan N-M. M! Ryan the R-A and J of the Ladies of Justice. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Ryan the R-A and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Danny the D. Danny the D. (laughs) D the dude. D the dude. (laughs) DJ Sammy G. It's already there. DJ SG. DJSG. Benny and Dana T. Benny and Dana T. Eric and Catherine from uh, YWB. Eric and Catherine from YWB. Sounds like a radio call sign. Professor and Lady X. Professor and Lady X. Lavender's Green D. D. Lavender's D. Lavender's Green D. D. Lavender's D. Noah C. Noah C. 
Merci. 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 Have merci. The fair and fragrant MC. Fair and fragrant MC. Anthony, who's cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of C. Anthony, who's hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of C. Jujitsu Jeffrey, the TR. Jujitsu Jeffrey, the TR. Leopard TT. Leopard TT. Midnight Ninja E. Midnight Ninja E. Queen C. Queen C. Return of the J. Return of the J. J of Rack and R. J of Rack and R. Timothy, the writer at D. Timothy, the writer at D. Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are warm and love B. Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are love and warm B. M, 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 M. Sweet Jamie S. Sweet Jamie S. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal D. And Laura, the Keeper of Eternal L. Yeah. <laughs> Cold Steel C. Cold Steel C. Jacqueline, the Librarian B. Jacqueline, the Librarian B. John Bombadillo, Bomb D. John Bombadillo, Bomb D. And Captain Tennille, his M. Captain Tennille and his M. Saxophone A. Saxophone A. And the Scarlet Pilgrim, Eli. The Scarlet Pilgrim, Eli. Don't really know, haven't really gotten used to him enough to give him an acronym, but I suppose it'd be the Scarlet Pilgrim E. All right. Book any day, produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me, performed by Brandon, me and Jake. Yeah. Go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. Get us up to 1500 and we will do what, guys? Arthurian lore, baby. Yep. Oh, that's right. Yep. We're going to mine it. We'll mine it. We'll talk Mallory. We'll talk Tennyson. We'll talk T.H. White, or whatever the guy's initials were, T.E. White. We'll talk that one guy that people like. Maybe we'll read The Mist of Avalon. I don't know what all we'll do, but we'll do a lot of Arthur stuff, and it'll be super fun and cool, because I love Arthur lore. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.